0: This is a show that brings to the forefront newsmakers, entertainers, and those making a difference in our lives and in our world. Each week is a new adventure with topics ranging from the most serious and cutting edge to the most lighthearted and entertaining. This is Taking Care of Business with Richard Solomon. Greetings everyone, Richard Solomon, Taking Care of Business, Out of the Question, in My Father's Place Radio and Podcast. So here we go. Let's listen to some music here.
1: Stop the world and start it anew just as midnight returns into noon It's between the sun and the moon Between the Sun and the
0: listening to track seven between the sun and the moon the album is called the stolers and i happen to have les stoller and joe Rafano from the stolers so hey welcome to uh, taking care of business out of the question my father's place radio and podcast hey there rich so so, so first of all nice to see you, rich. so, so joe's actually you know a friend of the show because you know we had a great show with him so check out our archives with his uh, solo engagement with us And uh, so Les, welcome to our You know, uh, show and stuff like that and You know,
1: I got a, I got a text message From my friend Ginger Saying, your bass player's on the radio <laughs> <laughs> So I go, what? what if... So I, I put it on my car And so I, I actually heard uh, I heard that great interview guys did. Uh,
0: Thank you very much yeah. we, we, Look, we love to get into the nitty gritty mm-hmm. So let's talk about your band Alright, So you, you so the band is You, your brother um,
1: yeah, it began with um my brother and me and um I guess when he was about six and I was about nine and when we started playing together. Um but more recently, yes, it's uh it's Brad and me and, and Joe Rufano over here to my right on on bass and Sean Murray, who is a, a well known Long Island drummer on drums. Okay.
0: And um, so, is, so I'm holding Stationary Sun. Yes, is this the current album? Stationary Sun is the current album. Okay. Yes. So, is this what you played at my father's place when you played in uh, like August? Some of the, the the some of the songs.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, um, there, there's an overlap between the album and our current set. Okay. You know, we're doing a lot of newer songs. Okay. And a lot of older songs, and we're doing uh, a
0: number of Joe songs, which are not on that record. all right So that that means he's got to be got to be seen live now. Yeah. Um, even though this is sort of the my father's place podcast radio show, you play all over. I've seen you, Orleans Grocery, Mercury Lounge, uh, Des, no, Desmond's, Bierend. Where, where, else, where else you guys play? Well, the Bitter Bitter end, end. Uh,
1: the Parkside Lounge. Um, we played a. Uh, we played a. It's called Fat Mama, and we, we, <laughs> yeah, uh, that was is, fun. That, is that New York? Uh, yeah, okay, <laughs> the Delancey. Okay, yeah, Delancey too. That, yeah. That's a great place. Right, right under the bridge
0: oh wow yeah and then you can go to Katz's deli right after yeah. <laughs> some of us did yeah. we, you know, we, we split up there are priorities <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really... so yeah. okay so going back to when you were six and nine what what prompted you to actually become musical brothers well the family first of all we we come from
1: a musical family uh Our dad was a classical music enthusiast and a jazz enthusiast. So we just, from the very moment we were walking around, being carried around, we were hearing uh, Beethoven and Bach and and Miles Davis and all kinds of uh, wonderful music was just in our ears. And then we had uh, an older brother and older sister who were into uh, 50s rock and roll and blues and uh, rock and roll in general. Bob Dylan? Bob Dylan. And then something very interesting happens. You know, I think everyone has a moment when you, first you're a, a child, like a kid, and then something happens when all of a sudden you're more social. Like you, Maybe you get interested in girls or boys or you realize there's a party going on there and it's a, a new era in your life. That era, and Joe may relate to this too, that era was Simultaneous to the day of the Beatles. Okay. So the Beatles came out, and it was not just that this band from England showed up. All of a sudden, our whole youth was uh, um, initiated. Was your raison d'être? Yeah, it was our it it like like raison d'être? Yeah.
2: It was like crystallized. You know, it's funny because that's uh, that's when I met Les. Actually, we we go back quite a ways and you know talking about his father and his love for music i i always remember that he had the most amazing stereo system in the neighborhood and we would go and listen to Beatle albums, and like he had the controls, you could separate the different things, and we'd like listen to what was coming out of that speaker. And, low, yeah. you know, and I was always amazed that he
0: had a device that could actually do that, you know? We'd well, have yeah, the, the Technics Turntable, the Morantz Equalizer, <laughs> right. and the Harman Kardon speakers. <laughs> I mean, right. that was like, and, and, and Maxell Tapes, was that What was even of... <laughs>
2: more amazing was that his father let us like, you know, mess around with the stuff. Yeah. I know at my house, my father would have probably strangled me if I touched any of his stuff. But I remember, uh,
1: I remember one night, we went one for one. You know, we, okay, Dad, Dad, you have to listen to this, you know, like hmm. Sergeant Pepper. And he's listening, he's like, okay, okay, because my turn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Emperor Concerto by Beethoven, you know, dun, dun, the most beautiful music you could imagine. So, okay, well, how about now? We're gonna <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> a little bit of vanilla fudge. <laughs> and I, I mentioned them because they're, they're gonna be performing. coming, coming course, up. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I
2: I think I'm friends with um, Vinnie mortel on
0: Facebook. Is he's that a right? Guitar, he's a guitar player, right? We, of th- the we got to You know, it, see if you can get him here. <laughs> and then we'll do it. You know, we'll do. No, another, wait a minute we'll, now. <laughs> I said on Facebook,
2: nobody on very few people on Facebook are actually your friends. But yeah,
0: I'll, I'll find. I'll tell you a very interesting story about Facebook and litigation that I was in. So you know, which Facebook became some pivotal evidence. But that's another your story folks, for you. Know,
2: it's a funny but, story. I can, let me tell you a quick. Funny I love story. stories. Um, I guess around nineteen seventy-two, seventy-one, I. Um, was invited to go to a thing at Sam Ash when they had the Hempstead store over by the church. It was a, a drum exhibition, for lack of a better word. It was Carmine Appice, who was the drummer of the Fudge, who went on to be, you know, Rod Stewart's drummer, and this, that Cactus, and all these people. And Tim Bogard, who was the bass player of the you know, Fudge, and Carmine were doing like a drum and bass thing and there were hundreds of people they were doing it outside they built like a makeshift stage and um i was never really a big vanilla fudge fan but i was in the audience and i was a guitar player so they handed me a guitar and they said get up there and play with them those guys need a guitar so me and richie ash who's still at Ash, right. he's like the young guy you know the Next Generation. The two of us were on stage jamming with Timmy and Carmine, which uh, to this day, one of the funniest, weirdest memories of my life. You know, like these two kids like up on there playing with these two guys.
0: But uh, anyway. Now that, so, so in other words, that goes on to your resume. So not only were you with Herman's Hermits and the Monkeys, you also were like, you know, with the Vanilla Fudge. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I
2: guess. It was funny though. It was, it's a funny thing that people, every once in a while people over people remind me, remember that time at Hampstead? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. That is
0: pretty crazy. So let's go back to the Beatles for a second. Uh, so so you had like your dueling banjos moment with your father. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right so, so was it the Beatles at Shea Stadium Live? Was it Ed Sullivan? What? Was it just radio play? What was your first my, intersection was, with the Beatles music? It was I Want to Hold Your
1: Hand on the radio. It was on the radio. Yeah, and my sister five years, my elder, um, was at uh, JFK. Oh, okay, when, a, yeah. when they arrived, and um, she managed to get the day off from school, uh, my mother let her go, and so my, my household was. Oh, when they came, when I came, so my household were full fledged beetle, beetle mania
0: all all the time. Well,
2: my, my parents took me outside. Mother was pretty hip woman too, though. Yeah.
0: My, my parents took me outside to the hotel where they were staying. that ah, so was part of that whole.
2: Was that, the Statler the, or the, something. I don't plaza, know. I was, I was actually very young. Plaza, yeah, I, so I, don't,
0: I don't remember, but. What I what I can tell you is that my my mom worked for New York Jazz and Philharmonic ah. so sh- she was actually like the payroll secretary and did all the sort of the tours mm-hmm. and the copyrights and all the other stuff so what was very interesting is like the people she actually interfaced with like on a regular basis was like Ella Fitzgerald and Charlie Parker because mm-hmm. she would actually hand them their payroll checks or their you know royalty checks or whatever so it was kind of funny so um they ended up going to a lot of concerts. They got a lot of you know test pressings of albums and things like that. So a lot of times when they'll mention jazz or things like that, my mother's like, oh yeah, oh, oh I know though. You know, ah, like oh yeah, right. or my father would be like, oh yeah, we saw what that. What are you we trying saw to them. say, Rich? You're connected. <laughs> well, <laughs>
1: no, but, right. That's that's a, a nice feeling. There's some connection to it back there, yeah. and I do remember listening to those early Beatle records on the little um, the little radio plug-in radio on the kitchen counter.
0: So, so Joe is actually at Shea Stadium. Did you ever see them live? No, because he actually saw no, Hendrix, no. the Monkees, and the Beatles live. I, I I thought that was just an incredible,
2: you Trajected. know. Th- no, well, I, I it was uh, you know I was into concerts. I mean, I went to a lot of shows with friends. I saw anybody that was, with the exception of Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones. I saw every, probably every major act in the si- of the '60s: Moby Grape, Cream, Doors, uh, Eric Clapton, and various, you know, various uh, iterations. Yeah, the Alman <laughs> Brothers, Poco, um, hmm. so i all.
0: Well, you can see of course, we,
2: Stills, and Nash.
0: You can see Richie Furet to this day. <laughs>
2: Actually, it's funny you would say that because uh, Jamie called me up. Jamie is a monster Poco fan and a huge Richie Furet fan. So am I. I mean, from Buffalo, Springfield, and all of that. He's going tomorrow, right? Yeah, yeah tomorrow. It, 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 at my father's place. Right. All right, kids. So get your. T- well, actually, you can't get your tickets because he told me it's already sold out.
0: Well, not only that, but this show is going to be played. Um uh, after the event. So, uh, historically you'll have to just catch the the good news is that Richie Furye seems to have repeat performances there. So, just go to myfathersplace.com and you'll check it out. Yeah. All right. right so, right, so in terms of your relationship with the Beatles, did yeah. you ever get to see them live or did I never you, saw them live. Did you see them at Ed Sullivan? Uh, of course, I saw uh, every uh, So, what was that like for you? And how old were you roughly when you first saw that?
2: Well, what what year was it? 64 February. S- yes, yeah,
0: yeah. So I was 12. Uh-huh. And um,
1: it, it, it was uh, so exciting. I, I try tried, I tried to explain it. You know, my, my daughter asked me um, a number of years ago, uh, maybe, she goes, I'm trying to understand because you're talking about the Beatles. It, what were they like? Michael Jackson? Were they like Madonna? (laughs) Were they like like, what was it like? Because the way you talk about them makes it seem different. And you know I said no it wasn't like they weren't like any artist. They were like a revolution in global communications. They were like the internet. And she said oh.
0: That's a very interesting analogy. Now I get it. Yeah.
1: Right because they it, it, it was a, a revolution in global culture. And no art... I mean, okay, Michael Jackson. Yeah, I mean, I could see the immense impact that an artist like he had. But the Beatles was
0: something more fundamental. Well, with all due respect to Michael Jackson, I don't think he played any instruments. At least I never right. saw him play Well, but
2: he, he was a writer, and he... I mean, look, he did what he did. He communicated with his generation. I'm
1: talking about the impact that he had. Right,
2: yeah. But, I but mean, just
1: that... Grammy performance and dance it's like it was
0: a global event. Well the thing is you know it's funny I I have interviewed a a, a ton of people including Denny Lane who you know played with uh, Paul McCartney uh, yeah. and Wings. And it, it is am- and I I have interviewed Kevin Hallett from the BBC who wrote the the whole thing about the Beatles at the BBC. Mm-hmm. Um and, and it is truly amazing to talk to a certain generation of musicians and invariably all of them talk about how the, the Beatles had a meteoric impact it's true. on the, the way they looked at music, the way they looked at culture, the way they looked at fashion and entertainment. I've
2: had, the, I've had the discussion with my 38-year-old son, and he's a musician too. He gets it, sort of, but you know, it's the old saying, you had to be there. Well, that's you know, true. You try to explain it. I, I said to him, you don't understand. It wasn't like they were just singers or entertainers they arrived and changed everything right and he sometimes he'll say oh come on they didn't change everything
1: yeah they did
2: research (laughs) it they changed everything i mean fashion songwriting the way they performed the way they sounded the way they recorded music people don't realize how revolutionary it was i mean tracking nobody did that that's, that A simple little thing like that that's so taken for granted by everybody that came after them. Sgt. Pepper, they recorded all the tracks one at a time. Nobody ever did that. They used to go out and record, the whole band would play, and then they'd say, well, you know, the vocal's really not that good, so he better sing another vocal track. But, I mean, they set out to record every track individually on purpose. I mean, that's really revolutionary. Now everybody does it that way. Well, somebody's got to be the first, you know. Somebody's got to be the first. But that's a big deal when it you did. think about it. That's a really big deal. I mean, they uh, changed the way the recording industry worked.
0: Period. Well, well, then all, all you need is love. Wasn't that the first satellite broadcasted, yep. you, you know, know yeah. event or something like that?
2: Yeah, it was. I think what was it fifty countries were watching it. So around then, um,
0: I guess, kind of driven by
1: the energy of our sister Eileen, okay, um, who was such a. Uh, a Beatle fan we really began to love them and uh, and we start to grow our hair long and um, we, Brad learned guitar first actually um, is that right yeah Brad took lessons from this woman Sherry Weinberger who lived uh, in the neighborhood and she gave a lot of the, the kids folk lessons she knew all the folk stuff so uh, oh wait a second oh yeah yeah that's right brad went to a, a, a saturday guitar class with mrs weinberger and he came home one day and started strumming the streets of laredo you know as i walk down the streets of laredo. great song great song um and i said let me try that <laughs> <laughs> and that was the beginning
2: well i remember you as a guitar player because yeah. You've over the years you've obviously become very proficient on the keyboard. Why thank you. But when we played together back when we were kids, you were a guitar player. Yeah. I of course at the time was the singing drummer. <laughs>
0: exactly.
2: <laughs> so, you know, things evolve. Uh, you know, you're getting back to your sister for a moment. Was she didn't she see Dylan at Forest Hills his first electric performance? I think I remember her talking about uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. When he was booed off the stage, which is, I mean, talk about a moment in history. <laughs> I mean, that was amazing, you know. Well, she, still- used to, she used to go to Greenwich Village. And she would come back and, like, spread the word to us youngsters. Right. Because See, she was, what, five, four or five years older than we were.
0: Five she, years older. Yeah. She was the emissary. You know, we were, like, 14. She was 19, so she was seriously cool. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but into this break, we're going to check out a song called Water Wheel. So here we go. This should be what. Solomon, welcome back to Taking Care of Business, Out of the Question, My Father's Place Radio and My Father's Place Podcast. So, if you're just joining us, thestolersmusic.com, that's, a, that's your destination. That's your musical destination. We are spinning tunes from Stationary Sun. We got Les Stoller, we got Joe Rafano, and we're talking about all kinds of things. So, all right, we were talking a little bit before. Let me just fade this out for a second. We talked a little bit before. Uh, about musical influences, so let's jump forward in time. So you had the Beatles. What, what did you What did you buy? What did you listen to?
1: I had some favorite artists. Um, pretty quickly, um, I drifted out of the uh, British invasion uh, into more um, American folk and folk rock. You know, I became interested in Simon and Garfunkel, which was the first concert I ever went to. Wait, was that at Forest No, believe it or not, it was at Adelphi University. Really? Oh, yeah. wow. We were home one day, and the phone rings, and it's my brother, who was a student there, calling the house. And he says, Mom, are Leslie and Brad home? And she goes, yeah. She goes, well, get in the car, come down to Adelphi, because I just saw this group, th- this duo, uh, do the afternoon concert, and they're going to do the night concert tonight. You guys have to see it. So we went on down there, and it was a, a beautiful, it was a sounds of silence, uh, concert and just two young guys just one guitar and uh they performed live and opening up for them was um oh my gosh why can i he, he's a political comedian who died a couple of years ago george carlin no no he's a black guy um Not godfrey cambridge nope nope uh,
2: oh i know who you mean well yeah. it's a terrible thing to be senile you know what i mean <laughs> i know exactly who he's talking about It'll come. We'll think me,
1: about it later. We'll, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do an he, internet search. He while he, we got, w- he got into political uh, food. Later, yes. later on, uh, political food. Very into food. But anyway, um, I remember my mother was going. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was great. Um,
0: yeah. So uh, I so, got. So wait. So you're. You're, nobody texted you, right? You know, there's no social media. You know? think about the communication, you know, differential in those days between now. Your brother calls the house, so obviously there could have been a busy signal. There's no answering machine if you're actually not there. All oh, right, no, you know? no, no. <laughs> Dick Gregory. Okay, he, uh,
2: you know, you there, you go.
0: Dick Gregory. There you go.
2: I'm
1: Brilliant. Glad, okay, I'm glad
0: we got that. Right. In mind. So, so what? So, did that have any impact on you going to that concert?
1: Without a doubt. Okay. Without a doubt. Um, I related to both of them, um, um, Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, Paul Simon's uh, guitar playing and his songwriting and uh, even his singing were very uh, appealing to me. He was just so smart and so poetic. Uh, and, so, and, he, and he was from Queens. So and you, he's you from Queens. <laughs> <You know. laughs> um, and I related to Garfunkel because I kind of felt like I looked like him. I had like the weird afro and the bone structure so i kind of felt myself like a mixture of these two guys so they had a big impact on me actually i started to write songs uh soon thereafter and even though i i I think i would have to truly call myself most basically a dylan freak okay even though uh i'm completely um Astonished by the degree and prolificness and depth of a guy like Bob Dylan's uh, catalog, my work, in, in, in the final analysis, is maybe a little bit more like Paul Simon's. You know, uh, maybe he's from that early
0: um, influence. What, what is it about Dylan that that draws you? You because know, it's different for everybody. Because you know, there's the um, acoustic Dylan. <laughs> There's the protest song, Dylan. Mm-hmm. There's the, the, the troubadour, Dylan. I mean, there's so many phases. In fact, on WCWP, uh, we have, a, I think it's a show on Monday nights at 9, and it's a, it's a, it's a Bob Dylan show. Oh, oh, really? Well, yeah. you know, I, I, I think talk, George Walsh is the host of that, yeah. I'll
1: talk about uh, my feelings about Dylan's work in a second, but I have a Dylan um, show that I do with a guy named David Alterman. Uh, we call it uh, Alt-Zim.
0: Okay, I saw that on your website. Yeah, yeah. 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 I was wondering what that was. <laughs> yeah, no, it's
1: uh, it's pretty cool. What is it about Dylan? Um, I, I think he's there's something about him that's so mysterious.
0: You know, he plays with the dead. He plays things like Black Diamond Bay and Mozambique. Yeah. And, you know, all these... You know, he's, it, it's hard, to, it's hard to pin him down. He's
1: mysterious. Yeah. he's like a, he's an. En- is he
2: mysterious? Is, is, is har- that is
0: that like why he didn't like show up for his Nobel Prize like on time?
2: <laughs> you, know, you, know, you heard you ever heard an interview with him? I mean, it's they ask him pointed, direct questions because people want to know everything about him, and his answers are in the are, are in the vapors, I man. It's like he just he. I think he at this point in his life he just doesn't really want people to know some of those he, answers
1: it's true and just the, the the artistry of of his his lyrics and uh you can't underestimate his his chord changes uh also he he does things that are completely original each time uh that are interesting and sophisticated and then people always used to say lucky he can write songs because he's such a horrible singer I used to say, and I kind of believe, I used to say it like, sort of like to say something a little cool. And I don't know how much I believed it, but I do believe it, actually. Which is, I'm not sure if he didn't sing like that, if people would have listened to his songs. As great as the songs are, they may have been above people's head heads if he didn't have such an unusual... You're right. You know?
2: I agree, because if it was so... Technically proficient and perfect and and right. crystal, then maybe the meaning behind what he was saying wouldn't have it would have gone right over people's heads.
0: It's true. you yeah, well, look, your package, you know, it's like
2: it, uh, exactly right.
0: It, it, one of the shows, one of the radio shows that really sparked something for me was his show Theme Time Radio. Yeah, where I, I don't know how many shows he did, but yeah. he played some of the most e- eclectic. You know music, and he would play it along a theme, like songs about cats, cats, (laughs) songs about alcohol, you know, baseball. Yeah, yeah. And and but he would play cars. Right. He he wouldn't play things from you know the current you know playlists of FM radio. He would play things from like nineteen ten. You know that came off of you know cylinders. (laughs) Which is well,
2: I can see that. Sure. (laughs) Did you ever see Dylan? Oh, I've seen maybe four or five. Times. Oh, you have? Yeah. Okay. yeah. I think I saw Dealing with the Dead. I saw him once, yeah. Bangladesh. That was it for me.
1: Yeah. Now, I, I saw him uh, last year at, um, where was it? The Beacon, I think. Uh,
2: the Endless Tour.
1: The Endless Tour. Yeah. I saw him in Kingston over the
2: summer. This is with the sort of like country blues band that he plays yeah. with now?
0: Yeah. So, so, of all these musical influences, how has that shaped. Has each has each sort of experience? alright well, you we're know, gonna make a right turn because we just did that left turn, you know. Yeah. Because you know, all of a sudden, you know, Simon Garfunkel Because all these things are so different, you know, Dylan, yeah. the Beatles, Simon and Garfunkel oh. are all great, but yeah. they're so different, right? I mean, they're just sort of so. Well, there are
2: there are underlying threads though that I think that run through all of it.
0: Tell me that because as a mus- as a non musician, I don't necessarily see well, it's that. Not even,
2: it's not even that it has to be musical in nature but just the visions you know it's like a visionary thing I think Paul Simon John Lennon Bob Dylan all had a vision and I think they all acted on it in their own way but you know it's that bigger it's like you were saying before it's the big thing you know what I mean and I think they all had the big thing and they all knew about the big thing and they all expressed it in their own way. Yeah, I think this
1: is such an interesting question you're asking, really, because you have all these influences, and then somehow they all incubate, and you become, I mean, you also have your, your own vision. Right. right.
0: I mean... It's like a salad. It, it's you know, the beetles are the tomatoes, and Dylan's the cucumber, and, you know, whatever, and Paul Simon, and Art Garfunkel are like the well, onions. Well, undoubtedly, because <laughs>
2: those guys had those, they're the same, you know, they also had those influences. I mean, uh, there was no one person that influenced Bob Dylan. I mean, there were a lot many saying there was not one person that influenced John Lennon or Paul Simon.
1: Dylan was a walking history of American folk music. Yeah, you know. And then another very influential person for me was Carol King. Okay. And you know, Carol Klein. Carol Klein, nice girl from Brooklyn. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes people say, "Who's "Who's your favorite pianist?" and You know, I really love Carol King's piano playing, and I think maybe maybe I emulate her, just kind of simple chordal um, accompaniment. Um, And Carol King, you know, she of course is a link between the Brill Building time and and the Laurel Canyon uh, scene over there, and then the the tapestry tapestry tapestry
0: was so it was a monster album yeah Yeah, it was a monster album i I don't know how long it was on the the charts but it was just a monster album yeah well you know
2: she she accidentally proved something that people probably wanted to know for a long time which is what whether or not she could actually perform her own music to the level that she wrote her own music Mm -hmm. and she did
0: she did it well you know the one thing i could say about all the people that you're talking about is that all of them at least from a lyrical point of view were profoundly deep when you think about what the beatles wrote about as young people Mm -hmm. they they wrote about you know some of the deepest topics you know not just like oh you know like like you know like you know it was
2: a deep time for lack of a better word i mean the world was changing and they were responding to their worlds and
0: you know but but i don't know that i could have been as deep at my age, no, I don't like even, that. At the, even at their yeah, age. You know, it's, it's sort of like me. you know when you even songs like Norwegian Wood. Well, John
2: Lennon wrote in my life when he was twenty four years old. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's, it's, I mean <laughs>
0: most, they play at weddings.
1: What you're talking <laughs> about is John. Um, I, I love yep. Paul, but, but but John is the one who who usually dug deep like that. You know, sometimes I wonder. If the fact that they grew up in a, in a region of the world
0: that got bombed. Well, yeah. Wasn't John Lennon born during uh, an air raid in a, in, in the tube yeah. or something? Yeah. They,
1: like I said, like a link before. They, they're, they're, they're a link between that great generation uh, and well, our generation in a way that Americans aren't really. Yeah, you're
0: well, right. also, both Paul and John lost their mothers, and I think that was a, yeah, a sorrowful age. connection yeah, that absolutely. they had.
2: Absolutely You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. You know, But I think that the whole, the whole bombing thing influenced and affected a lot of those people. Oh, it had I was to. watching uh, Rod Stewart being interviewed by Dan Rather the other night, and um, he was at the tail end of all of that, too, and actually remembers playing as a child in all the bombed-out buildings. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, it's got a it's got to have a serious effect on your psyche growing up
1: depth oh, yeah. the depth comes from somewhere you know well it
0: comes from pain i guess it comes from pain, pain, pain and, and loss john
2: lennon said that his whole life right i mean uh, back when he was saying it we people some people were snickering and all of that but it's really true i mean what was the what's the joke the uh the spoof uh National Lampoon did the, the, the song he sang "Genius is Pain." Which, I mean, but it's well, true. I mean, in, in I'm thinking about ways. what you're saying. God, God, is a concept
1: by which we measure, we measure our, our pain. pain. It's a, a, and uh, we grew up, you know, in, in Roslyn, and uh, you know, our whole experience of hardship is very different than it was for them.
0: Sure, you know? sure. Well, look, every, everybody's reality is subjective. Right. And, and everybody deals with the things that they have very different oh, as ways. a
2: child, reality is thrust upon you. In yeah. a lot of ways, you have no choice because mm-hmm. you're not in control.
0: Right. And, and look, uh, you know, whether you have older siblings, I mean, there's so many things that can alter, you know, your life. Uh, you know, people who, you know, I remember uh, my cousin Gary was a big Jethro Tull fan. Mm. So one of the first albums I ever purchased was Warchild. War Child. You know, followed by Aqualung and then I think yeah. Minstrel in the Gallery, because you know I became a big Toll fan because I was listening to all the music in his house. Yeah. And i was like, wow, this is really cool. I saw Toll yeah. at the Fillmore. Wow, yeah. So skipping around a little bit, uh, you, if you grew up in Roslyn, did you go to my father's place?
1: Um, I, during those years, I had left, but I went. Uh, I, I got to know Epi. At a, a, a business venture that he had before my father's place, which was a clothing store in Roslyn called Never When.
0: Oh, this is cool! I didn't know this. Yeah, and I, I, told,
1: <laughs> I I put this story to to a uh, to a musical piece uh, to set for love, and and, and we did it at uh, before my father's place. You know, he's doing it at the at the waterfront, at the uh, lighthouse waterfront. Right, 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 right. Yeah, and I did that. So we I did it as a, as a poem. It's a story where. You know, I was walking around one night, and it was you know getting dark. It was just that time where maybe I should go home, maybe I shouldn't. It started to rain, and I found myself in Roslyn, in the actual town of Roslyn, and I was cold. And so I just went into this little shop, and I was like shivering. And um, this guy comes over to me, he goes, "A man, you look cold. Give this, give this young man a blanket. Here, sit down. You want some tea?" And I go, "Yeah." He goes, "What's your name?" I go leslie he goes hey i'm epi right? and uh, that's how i first got to know him i don't know i was maybe 19 he was maybe 23 who
0: knows well, well, well the rest is history i met him because i played there yeah there you go
2: i mean we all we went there i mean you know the list of people that i saw there is pretty staggering everybody from david crosby to i mean you name it they played there uh, and then I was playing with a band called Rocket 88, a blues band, and um, I had nothing to do with, you know, booking it. I was just told, we're playing there, and I was like, oh, cool. So I got to meet him, you know, uh, as an artist, I guess, playing there. Right. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's funny. Everybody
0: has a great Epi story. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, the guy's a classic. Even then, he was a classic.
0: Well, well, you know what's really interesting? I'll say to him something like, you know, I'd love to interview name. He goes, hold on, and then he'll either take out like a, a, a you know a, a, a beat up spiral notebook, <laughs> right, yeah, right. you know, yeah. you know, very low tech with all these names, or he'll he'll say, all right, take down this number. And he goes into his phone to the speed dial. He goes, all right, take down this number, and uh, just just tell like just tell Denny Lane that Eppy said it was cool to call. You know, right, so, yeah. and he, you know, he just knows he just like knows everybody. It's just it's just so well, funny. I mean,
2: everybody played there. I mean, back in those days. I mean, it was like the warm-up gig for Madison Square Garden. I mean, Linda Ronstadt, the police, Bruce Springsteen, all, all of them.
0: Well, you know, it's great. I, I've, I've been fortunate enough to get a lot of the behind-the-scenes stories, either from Epi or from people who played, you know, long ago. And one of the the cool stories that Epi told, and we actually have this on the podcast, it was uh, Linda Ronstadt was playing, and she ran out of songs. And he goes, all right, got to play another song. And, and she's like, we don't know how to play anything else. So he says, all right, do you know um he waved by Martha Ray and the Vandellas and she goes eh, and he wrote it out and, and uh, he he said I just play this and she gets up on stage and says something like all right well this is Eppy's idea and uh, you know and after this you got to go <laughs> mm. so I'm going to close out with this if it's good uh, you know That's great amazing. but if not it's Eppy's fault that became one of her biggest uh, yeah. records. so so on on our podcast I actually have uh, the little segment where actually Epi tells this from personal experience about how this all went down. So, some of those stories are really cool. All right, Richard Solomon, Leslie Stoller, Joe Rafano, the We'll be back in a minute. Lightning Fast Radio here. We'll be right back. Keep it locked down.
1: Yes, we can. Someone says no, you won't. Let's find some flames to fan. The past is always gone, and now we can't hold on to what we never really had. Way back once upon a once upon a time, still a changing fear is always in
0: the culture war. Great lyric. All right, that is a song called Culture War. Now, you know, it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the Talking Heads. And what is it? The OMCC that people did that song, uh, How Bizarre? It sounds like sort of like a synthesis of, of that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a little wacky. Yeah. Um, That's like Is that like a big departure from your tr- more traditional style of, of music? Um,
1: every, every once in a while i'll i'll come up with something pretty random which is outside of my regular style and yeah i would have to say uh that's one of them yeah it it originally was written with a different set of lyrics okay um which i guess i'll i'll reveal just between you and me and joe and 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 all those other people (laughs) that um that it was originally uh called no electric chair So instead of, it's a culture war, it used to be, no electric chair, right? Which was relevant when I wrote it, because there was a lot of uh, public outcry and concerns about the death penalty. But um, as time went on, I wanted to bring it back, and it really seemed dated, that that particular cause.
0: They haven't used old Sparky in a long time. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's Some That's really what they like, called it.
2: <laughs> I know. Well, now they're, they're, they, Some, they can't even use, like, uh, yeah. Like having, the states can't even, they can't use anything anymore. Nothing works, which is actually a good thing, at least in my opinion. Yeah. Please so, don't send letters to my home. <laughs> <know>.
1: <laughs> no, 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 it it's took a little to, while for me to um, figure out what I wanted to transform it into. Um, and really, a lot of what's going on now... I think, could be put under the rubric of culture war. Um, well,
2: but it's
0: also worldwide. It's not just even here. Well, it's it's know, just really everywhere. culture
2: war between the sun and the moon and the first song that you played, I think, coming into the show was Brad's song. Um, those were the three songs Lora, that I... Laura Donna. Yeah, those are the three tunes that I heard from the from the CD and i decided at that point i was going to call Les and say hey listen i want to be in this band (laughs) do you have a band i don't even think you guys well you were playing sort of not really
1: we we did a couple of performances but we didn't really the um transition from this studio album to playing live you know it was a little hairy because the record itself is so meticulously produced and to, buy, to try to bring that out onto stage it would be like the f- it'd be, it'd be like a tribute band. Yeah, it's, it's we, not easy. We didn't want to do that. We wanted to start again and do something live. Um, so uh, it turns out that the more time that passes, the more it begins to approximate where we got with the record. That's true, too, yeah. But we didn't want to copy the record that we already produced. I understand that, yeah.
2: So well, we all have, everybody brings something to it, you know. That's even uh, Brad and Les, even though they, you know, were the, the genesis of the record and wrote the music and produced it and all that, even just the fact that they're playing it live, every time you play it live you get another little perspective on something it's well you true. know well you know that thing I did on the second verse you know or, I'll keep or, that or you know right. instead of, well, let's, let's change that the ending of the chorus a little bit and so it, what's happening now it's evolving and well, because they've got me and Sean with them and we I think come from a more rock and roll place it's not to say that I wasn't you know influenced by folk rock because I definitely was and love it um, but we, we're, I think we we tend to be a little harder sensibility. Right,
0: which and is so very very good for me and Brad. And it's changing it so, live. So, you, so so basically Joe kind of pulls you more towards the rock and I guess Les kind of softens you up with the, the folk to some extent? To, well, some, so it, a convergence. to some extent, I
1: think we, we each have those components in us, but I, I think... Uh, it resonates. That's
2: right. Oh, exactly. Well, the drumming too. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sean Murray is a serious, serious drummer mm-hmm. and uh, brings an ability to interpret things in a, in unique and 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 melodic you know is the old joke is that you know what are drummers guys that hang out with musicians well he's a musician <laughs> um, he brings a, a, a whole musical sense to what he's playing and he yeah. he finds the right things it's it's kind of like ringo i mean he finds what is the right thing to play and uh he it really helps it it helps it to evolve in a live setting because he plays really, he's a great drummer and he plays great live. I mean,
1: and also, uh, Joe is a very musical bass player. You play the bass melodically. Kind of like Sir, Sir yeah, Paul. Yeah, Sir Paul. Well, when I played
2: with Peter Noon, I mean, he said to me, it's the big joke, play like McCartney, Joe. Play like McCartney. <laughs> and that's, you know, I always loved Paul McCartney's bass playing. Hey, listen, I loved everything about Paul McCartney, but uh, before I even played the guitar, I was a drummer, and one of the things that got me moving in that direction was hearing McCartney's playing on Rubber Soul, Revolver, and Sgt. Pepper. His bass playing was like, so, I mean, even Lennon, in an interview said that, as far as he was concerned, McCartney was the greatest rock bass player ever, because he, t- he took chances and he did things. I, I'm very melodic. I, yeah. It may be a fault. Maybe some people think that. I don't know. It's I'd a style but i think it's, it goes, not, it's a signature i think it goes with where we are anyway
1: at our best um we've learned our arrangements well enough that when we're on stage and the energy of the audience is alive with us we'll all go places that we didn't plan and where joe tends to go
0: is very musical into melodic work, and I love when that happens. So, how has Joe's, you know, appearance into the band changed your musicianship and your songwriting?
1: Well, um, it's it's given me um, a lot of, a lot of foundation, I would say. You know, a keyboard player needs to have a, a good foundation. At least I do, and it's really provided. Provided that for me, um, in terms of songwriting, that, that's a very interesting question because I'm not really sure how to answer it. Because I've started to write songs um, that the band isn't doing yet. I'm not sure what that means. You know, we I want to bring them to the band. Um,
0: but uh, are you cooking them up in the kitchen somewhere, and then you're gonna showcase them at a dining? That's meeting. right, exactly right. Well, that's, <laughs> you, that's generally how it's
2: done, though. you know. Uh, you, you know, taste this. You sort of like you sort of have to work it out in your own mind. At least I do before I w- would present it to them. But yeah, I have great respect for them. And it's almost a little intimidating because they're all three of them are such spectacular musicians that I wouldn't want to come in with any, with anything that I you know wasn't up to a certain level you know what I mean
0: but so what do what you so what are you guys working on right now
2: right
1: now we've we've introduced um, two new songs uh, into our repertoire that we're we're trying to um, get to the level of all the other work uh, and a new song that Joe wrote which is actually um, has a, a political theme uh, regarding refugees and um a song that brad wrote um a number of years ago uh called the situation about a, a relationship uh, gone awry and um so uh it's very exciting really to work on on new stuff we keep trying to do it um because we have a very strong I guess we, we have two strong sets you know most of the gigs we play um, in the city it's a little frustrating uh, only allow us one set because you play either a 45 minute set or a, an hour set and then you go down the next band plays right right, right. whereas um, a lot of the gigs around here you, we could play the whole night you know so we have two strong sets maybe an hour each
0: Right? I would say, and, yeah. and, and the parking's easier here too. And the parking, yeah. <laughs> but the
2: pizza is definitely better in there.
1: <laughs>
2: I, I look at it two ways.
0: N-
1: new people who've never seen us, we never have to learn a new song, correct? Because we could we could play a, a set for them that's going to interest them but what happens is you know, your friends and family come also and they're like oh this is the same set right <laughs> um, we, you can't wor- and you really can't worry about it really because you go on tour you play the same set for the whole tour that's, cr- that's and, pretty much true right? yeah but nonetheless we, you know, we do like to um, switch it up a bit so we're always always uh, learning some new songs I mean I guess the elephant in the closet that we haven't mentioned is that we're r- really only interested in original stuff well, that's
0: sort of my father's place, right? Oh, you know, that's that's, right. that's really their raison d'être, right? You know. So, what was it like playing at my father's place? How was the sound? What was it like? You know, I've, I've I've heard good things, but I always like to hear from the musician side of it.
1: I had an absolutely spectacular experience there, right from the, the moment we walked in with with the sound check uh, till the moment we broke it down. Um, everything was um, highly professional and so uh good-natured everybody was on everybody else's side
2: yeah it was great i know that
0: the sound people all of them are just really great people yeah Yeah. you know
2: i knew some of those guys and i was pleasantly surprised to see them because i knew how good they were the sound was incredible um yeah it was just very comfortable and and the audience was amazing i mean we we were very fortunate i guess uh, a lot of people that know us, know of the music, know us from when we were kids. I mean, you know, we all grew up in that area, so...
1: People in the audience said that the sound was perfect. And also, the guy who plays the pedal steel guitar on Between the Sun, I mean, you heard him on a few songs on the song, um, a wonderful musician named Rob Stein, when we were recording Stationary Sun, and he came down, and he was helping us produce a number of tracks, a very talented guy. Um, he said, everything... Is monitoring like a little mantra? He would say, "Everything is monitoring." Can you hear it, right? Can you hear everything? Because if you hear it, and and that goes along to what you asking about before, with working out of headphones. Um, So what I'm getting at is that the monitoring on the stage, fabulous. And was that Don Don uh, Gavis? Don
2: Gavis, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I just felt. Thank you, Don. (laughs) Thank you, Don. Because then you're free. You know how you know you know how it's supposed to sound. If you if you can
0: well, hear it, it sets you free, man. Well, the one thing I can say is I was there during the construction and I actually saw when Alex put all of the speakers to the test. And, and then there was a whole thing, because the, basically they, they the sound system is custom to the space. Correct. And then I know that they will actually sit in every single part of the room mm-hmm. to hear the projection of the sound. Yeah, sounds. Well, that's the way you got to do it. And, and, and they, they, they listened for everything, whether things bounced off of things, whether... You know, things you know, off the floor bounced, f- reflect. They up. did
2: a, but, a marvelous
0: job. You know, as as someone who's not really a, a sound engineering person, I'm just mm-hmm. you know, I'm a radio guy. I was amazed at the the intricacies of the sound dynamics that they actually considered and cared about and accounted for and tweaked and you know the whole bit. Got to do it. You know, and I, and I hear from a lot of the musicians that they really love the a sound. A lot of
2: touring. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of touring musicians are playing there. Something cool
1: happened. It's not exactly Stoller related. It's my father's place related, where I got a call from Epi. They needed someone all of a sudden to open up for Marshall Crenshaw, right? And they didn't want a band, you know. So Stollers couldn't do it. They just because you want a a smaller act because Marshall was only a three-piece to begin with. So he wanted a two-piece. So. Epi knows this guy who's also a close friend of mine, uh, Richie Demand, who's a Seacliff singer-songwriter, and he runs this weekly jam which we call The Cave. A lot of stuff comes out of The Cave, a wonderful new singer-songwriter named Jen Garrity and Richie Demand, and people come by The Cave all the time um, on Friday nights. So, Epi asked me, do you think Richie would want to do a few songs to open for Marshall? And... um, meanwhile richie is the least ambitious guy you know (laughs) he's really talented and really deep and wonderful but you know he's like he's a craftsman he does tile work so i call up richie i go you know epi called he wants to know if you want to open for he goes hell yeah you know (laughs) but do i have to do it alone so so i said well i'll play bass behind you he goes okay so all of this is getting back to the sound where I plug in my 1960-something old Epiphone bass from my uncle, Nat Brooks, club-date musician, and it starts to buzz because something about those old pickups, they, they, didn't, they, they don't jibe well with well, the with direct box.
2: Yeah, it might have been like mm-hmm. a, right. a single coil. Or- so
1: everyone panicked a little bit. What are you going to do now? And this guy, one of the sound staff, pulled out this little thing called the D-Hummer,
2: i I don't i don't know it but it's a d hummer or d d buzzer i don't know what it was probably it probably eliminates a 60 cycle home or something right
0: he plugged
1: it in gone
0: wow oh wow awesome yeah all right so we have a couple of a couple of minutes so this is the fastest hour of radio Mm -hmm. so uh social media you're on facebook yeah Uh, okay you're joe yeah, I do have a website, yeah. Right. TheStolersMusic.com? TheStolersMusic.com,
1: and of course The Stolers have, have its have a, Facebook, a Facebook artist page. page. Okay. And,
0: uh, and and then the, I know that you can see your your shows and where you're playing, and I know there's some archive stuff and photos. If you go to the Facebook
2: page and you send a message to Les with your email address, if you're interested, uh, we put you on the mailing list. Oh, there you go. And yeah. then you can find out where we're playing all the time.
1: Yeah, that would be wonderful. My my Facebook page, Leslie Stoller, has a lot of stuff also. Um, Brad Stoller. And yeah, oh yeah, we'd love love people to come on down and hear us.
0: What is an interesting unknown fact about your band that I can kinda end the show with that people would who who are like fans may not know or realize?
1: Um, well the first thing I'll just say the first thing that came to my mind is that our first band, before the Stolers emerged as the Stolers was uh, a band called The Wizard's Hound. That's as if there was a wizard and the wizard had a dog. The Wizard's Hound. That was us. Okay. And, and um, I, I, I think we were really a precursor to the Stolers in the sense that we're not genre-specific. You know, you played Water Wheel, that's a classical piano piece. You play Loredana. That's that's like a a South American um, rock tune. You know, uh, Culture War is some kind of talking heads, a Zappa way out thing. Between the Sun and the Moon is a folk song. So we kind of developed this idea that we're song-specific, not genre-specific. Whatever the song needs, we'll bring it, even if we have to cross from one genre to the next
0: to the next all right and with that we will say see you next week it was great seeing you thank you so much for gracing your thank your you. your, your, your music to us and uh, your time and your great stories and uh, you'll have to come back and uh so thestoresmusic.com jorefano.com facebook and all the other good things of course myfathersplace.com and uh, we'll see you next week thank you for listening